if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Another guest we've got today for you on Horse Chats is Thorsten Kayser. Now, Thorsten's been operating via the Institute of Barefoot Equine Management Limited, as IBEM, dedicated to providing the best equine care possible. He views the world from the horse's eyes and base management recommendations for what the horse needs to thrive, not necessarily what's most convenient for the human. So his approach is holistic. He looks at the entire horse and how the horse is affected by its environment. He's striving to achieve long-term soundness and not doing any quick fixes. So Thorsten focuses on identifying and removing the causes of unsoundness to allow the body to start healing. He also offers education and coaching that's based on logic, science, and improvement management principles and believes that each horse owner, given a sound knowledge base, will make better decisions regarding their horse's care. Thorsten, how are you? Yeah, I'm very well, Glennis. Thank yeah, you. How about yeah. yourself? Oh, I'm pretty good. Pretty good, Thorsten, and looking forward to chatting. I think uh, lots more information available now about Barefoot, which is what I wanted to chat to you about. But before we get started, Thorsten, I just want to have a quick talk about International Horse College for our listeners. So this podcast is brought to you by International Horse College, and the vision of International Horse College is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect, and enjoy their horses and the horses appreciate, respect, and enjoy their people. Have a look at the wide variety of horse-friendly courses at internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now, Thorsten, we had a quick chat before this chat, and and I said to you that I often ask my guests, you know, what's your favourite quote? Just to give us a bit of an idea. I mean, sort of reading your profile and everything gives you a little bit, but to get to know the person a bit better, what's your favourite quote? And tell us how it's influenced you. Yeah, I like the quote by Albert Einstein, which is along the lines of, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. Mm-hmm. And um, so the way it impacts me really is that um, often we're, we're sort of not really recognizing the problems or the true problems, and uh, we tend to focus on on symptoms more. So, you know, for instance, if a problem over the course of five years, say in hoof care or keeping or whatever, is um, leading to a lameness or maybe a laminitis issue, we're probably only looking for the last two weeks or months worth of trouble and, and try to find our problem there, but we won't find it there. It might have been the last five years. So we often have to look a lot deeper and bigger for the real problems. Yes, that makes a lot of sense, you know, and I know that there's been a lot more science, a lot more um, education available about barefoot, but when you first started, you know, just sort of thinking about you started endurance riding, when you first started mm-hmm. endurance riding, you started off your horse's shod, didn't you? That That is correct, yeah. Okay, and, and I'll say shod and blanketed, so we might talk a little bit about then. That was, what, 1998. So what made you think about changing over? You know, I'm thinking about not necessarily starting with horses, but starting barefoot. What made you go and say, right, I'm going to try this barefoot thing? Was it someone else influenced you or just looking at your your own horses or, or what? 
It was very much a personal experience with my own main competition horse. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, I, I got him as a three-and-a-half-year-old horse and then gradually started to ride him. And I did what everybody else did. You know, I, I shot the horse because that's what you were supposed to yep. be doing when you're riding 40-kilometer rides and so on and so forth. Plus, there was a rule set as well that you had to have um, shoes on or at least be booted in all four. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Long story short, when the horse was age seven, he literally would wear his shoes down. Like within three to four weeks, they'll be paper thin on the toes, um, hardly anywhere in the heels. He would be tripping, um, he would be stumbling, and so on and so forth, and he started to go lame. Okay. And then the correlation was whenever the shoes came off, he started to come down, and whenever the shoes came back on, he started to go lame again. Mm. And that was sort of the key thing for me, like that I was looking outside the box, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, your first 100 or your 100K ride, you did a 100K FEI ride barefoot. And that was that was sort of five years after you'd been going. So you must have, you, you know. And no, it was, was only, um, I was less, it was less. It was in 2002 that I, that I pulled the horse's shoes. So okay. I did a, in 98, I started with the endurance riding, and in 2002, I pulled the shoes. Mm. And it was in 2003 that I did that 100-kilometer ride, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what did people say to you? You know, they must have must have thought you were crazy. Did you have anyone else that was influencing you? I mean, were you, you weren't shoeing the horses yourself or you were? I wasn't shoeing them myself beforehand, no. Um, okay. But then I was trimming them myself, yeah. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, like one of the influence was um, Darren, Darren Butler-Dahl from um, from the U.S. She mm -hmm. was riding endurance riding, and she was riding barefoot, and she okay. did 100-mile ride. And, okay. um, and so that was to me like, okay, well, that can be done. And um, if, she, if she can do it, we can do that here as well. And so that was uh, always like an inspiration that I wanted to work towards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, but, yes, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of doctors, obviously, when, when I started, and and um, people would say, well, that's nuts, you know, that can't be done in New Zealand. And, and you hear that, you know, in every country they say, oh, it can't be done in their own country. It can be sure. done overseas, but never in your own country okay. and so on. So so we definitely had that. And it was quite an interesting moment when I completed that 100-kilometer ride because people would come up to me and say, well, look, that's quite amazing. I would not have thought that's that's possible. And these are, these are rides, you know, where you have vet-out rates based on lameness of about 50%. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, do you work full time in the horse industry now? I do, I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, trimming, seminars, and uh, professional training is, is sort of the key areas I do. Okay, because the horse industry is involved, you know, quite a lot since um, certainly the last twenty or thirty, you know, forty years. Yeah. The type of people that you work with, the type of people in the horse industry, it, we're sort of a little bit different to the rest of the population. What do you think makes horse people different? <laughs> what makes horse people different? <laughs> yeah. I suppose if you actually have a horse, you have to be a strong character yourself, isn't that? So um, that's often what you're dealing with. You're dealing with, with people that have strong opinions and um, um, think they have a good knowledge of everything. <laughs> yeah. um, that's probably what, yeah, what sums it up. But on the other hand, you know, they're inquisitive as well and, and they want the best for their horse. Um, sure. But the best for the horse may not always be the most convenient for the person, and that's where no, it gets I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. What do you think is the best thing about working in the horse industry? 
Well, uh, the best thing for me really is the feedback you get from the horse. You know, mm-hmm. when you I like when the you way have you said horse, from that, the horse, not from the horse people. Yeah, that that's right. It's mm-hmm. the horse. To me, this is where the the thing is. And um, when you have a horse that's that's leaning, that doesn't want to stand still for having the feed trim, that's been stumbling. Um, maybe the horse owner tells you I had a fall because the horse was stumbling and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. And you start working that horse and. Um, and and you start taking those pressure points away in the hoof, and and the horse owners even saying, "What's going on with my horse here? It's a, it's relaxing. I've never seen it relax so much." And and the horse, when you're finished, stands differently. It moves out differently, and so on. So that that is what it's about for me. Okay, so you're taking pressure points away without getting. You know, I'm no one. I'm not going to do a complete apprenticeship on the you know on the chat to you today. But just give us a little bit of an idea the type of pressure points that a horse has to put up with that you help relieve yeah. them of. Where are those pressure points? Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. So the um, the, the pressure is against soft tissue inside the hoof capsule, and mm-hmm. the pressure comes from the outside. And the most common one that we're dealing with is the leverage from the heels via the bars to the internal structure. So um, in a correctly functioning foot, you have the, the, bone, the bone structure um, mm-hmm. coming down on weight loading. The navicular bone gets pushed down. The deep flexor tendon sort of comes down slightly and, and straightens out. Uh-huh. And the horn structure underneath should move out of that way. So then it releases all the pressure. But if the foot is not functioning correctly, the bars are too long, the collateral grooves too deep, the heels underrun and levering and so on and so forth. The horn structure does the opposite in loading. It actually gets levered upwards against the movement of the bone structure. And that causes pressure points, tissue pinching, the soft tissue, the corium that sits there in between. And that's a highly vascular tissue, lots of nerves in that area. And the horse goes, ouch, I'm, you know, I'm not going to put my foot down in a way that hurts most. Yeah. As a human, think of it, you have running shoes on and you have a little one little pebble Yes. In in your yes. area. Mm-hmm. It will change the way you run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. you can't do anything about that pebble, you know? No. no. Now, are these pressure points caused by shoes, is there a place for shoes or or not? Well those pressure points are not just caused by shoes. That mm-hmm. can be on a hoof on a hoof without a shoe on that is just not functioning properly. So it can be caused by by incorrect trimming then? Yeah, so yeah. when we just generalize and say a non-functioning foot, a non-functioning hoof will will cause those type of pressure points. Now, the shoe, the shoe, what the shoe is doing, it basically reduces the amount of hoof capsule expansion. And when the hoof, especially in the where the shoe is attached, right, and this is where the the sole domes across. Mm-hmm. And if that hoof wall there can't widen, that sole can't draw flat. And with that, the bars can't roll flat and the collateral grooves can't roll flat. So basically, they block that sole action that I just described. That sole should be drawing down what should be drawing flatter. So it creates that internal space for um, for the bone columns and to have, have space and that tissue pinching is not happening. Okay, okay. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, 
then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Now, just sort of going back to this, you, you did a 100k FEI ride. And people in New Zealand had said you can't do that, but you're involved in the rule change to for Endurance New Zealand so that horses can go barefoot on the longer rides. Was that difficult to do that? And Australian, I think you, you've helped Australian to change as well. Well, the, uh, the well, I didn't personally do that in Australia, but the, some people I know they realised, and it happened in New Zealand, exactly. and then they they yeah. kind of got it changed in Australia. Consequentially, is yes. yeah. was it difficult? Um, sure, change is difficult, right? It's probably the biggest problem humans have is mm-hmm. dealing with change. So um, when uh, when it came down to it, uh, we we had an AGM and we had some pre meetings with the New Zealand Endurance Association and so on, and. Um, Basically, the question was: FEI did allow it. FEI rules did allow to um, to go barefoot. Mm-hmm. Um, New Zealand rules didn't, and so the question was: Why do we have the rules? And um, you know, so oh, then there was this anecdotal evidence of something may have happened here and there. Nobody really had a had a proper reason for it anymore. And then the main argument for why the, how the change then occurred is like, well, we have vet checks anyway, so we have a vet check prior to the ride. If your horse is lame prior to the ride, it's not going to start, whether it has a shoe on or no shoe on, right? Yeah. And then the worst thing that could happen is if you ride a 40-kilometer loop, uh, that's the longest you could do before there has to be a vet check. Mm-hmm. Again, the horse is either lame or is not lame. When he's lame, then it gets pulled. And that's already happening with short horses as well. So how can it be any worse? And... Um, you know, the people that will do their homework and condition the horses properly, they should be able to do that without hoof protection then. Mm-hmm. The vet mm-hmm. is the final call. And um, the ones that don't do the homework properly, don't condition the hooves properly, yes, they will have a lame horse and they might do it once, they might do it twice, and then they walk away from that and so on. Yep. So based on that, really, they kind of said, well, there's no real counter-argument against it, and it started to get open. Okay, okay. That's good. And what about other people, people that have influenced you and just helped you in your career? Anyone in particular that you need to mention? Well, in terms of the career, I mean, the key, per- key person really is probably Dr. Strasser that mm-hmm. I would need to mention there. This yep. is where most of my knowledge comes from. Um, and she was always the person um, that I that was able to explain in the most logical and factual way why certain things are happening this way or that way. You know, how tissue behaves, how tissue responds to um, those chronic pressures, what happens when blood circulation reduce, uh, returns and so on and so forth. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to think about horses here now. You know, we've talked about Dr. Strasser and the influence and you've talked before about, you know, the feedback from the horse, horse who's not standing, yeah. not comfortable, and you give them. Do you have any case studies or, or any horse in particular that you think that's a bit of a standout? Or is, you know, t- tell us a little bit more about um, just a horse being able to influence you and then the work that you've done that's been able to in turn influence a horse. Maybe, you know, more recently it might be over a long period of time. Is there one that comes to mind? Yeah. 
I mean, one horse I've already mentioned is my own horse, yes. and that got into barefoot, obviously, right? That That's one thing. But uh, another one is probably worth mentioning, which is a horse. Um, he was a five-year-old at the time when I first met him, and he had pedal bone protrusion. And um, so the pedal bone protrusion basically means the bone inside a hoof capsule, pedal bone or coffin bone, whichever term you want to use, um, protruded out in the sole and the oh, bottom yeah. and mm. sticking out the bottom. And traditionally, vets would normally recommend euthanasia for the animal. And this was the case here as well. And um, the people the people that owned the horse, they, they were a digger operator as well. So they had already um, dug the hole for the horse. And um, the vet was late for the euthanasia and sort of said, oh, I'll give this guy a call. You know, he might be able to help. And, and that was me. And um, so that horse then, um, we started to work on it and so on. And that horse is now... 20-something years old and so on. And, um, oh, wow. Yeah, it's fine, you know. So pedal one protrusion, as severe as that, doesn't have to be the end for the horse. Yeah, yeah, because it normally is. It, it Normally it's, um, if that happens, it's just, oh, well, it just can't yeah. be helped. Did the horse go on to be ridden again? You know, did it? Yeah, it was, it was yeah. ridden. It was okay. ridden sort of, um, no, lightly in um, pleasure riding. Okay. Um, did some sort of A&P shows type thing. Oh, and, um, yeah, just packing about, yeah. Okay, okay. Now, tell us, um, you've gone out and you've presented quite a lot. You know, you've gone to Equitana, Equidays, Hoof Care Conference, quite a few different places around the world. What's the most common question? You know, because after your presentation, I'm sure there's questions. What's the most common question that people ask you? The, the most common question. I'm not sure if there's any specific one, but mm. it's it's what people realize is that they have to make changes and mm-hmm. they can't yes. just continue the way they they were doing things. And um, like I said before, change is hard for humans. So the, you normally get to hear other problems, why they might not be able to do this change or that change and so on and so forth. So there's often discussions around that, how how we could practically do that um, for them. And, and people then need to realize, you know, Rome wasn't built in one day either. So start making changes gradually and purposefully um, to, to get more optimal over time. Okay. And then the doubters that you talked about before, you know, the people who don't think it could be done in their country, in this sport, with their conditions. How do you handle them? Um, well, I've, <laughs> I've learned not to become the preacher. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. it's like the student will find you. Yes, yes. Um, I suppose people have got to be ready to hear the news. That's right. Yeah. And, and I've done my bit in the competition scene was endurance riding, so I, I had to put my money where my mouth was. And, and I was competing, um, you know, under FER, FER rules as well, and, and I was, was qualifying the horses there. So um, it can be done. Um, a client of mine did a 100-miler completely barefoot under FEI, as it was an FEI three-star yep. ride in the national yep. champs, for instance. Um yeah, so so the facts are out there, and, and we see that internationally as well, where where pe- people ride barefoot horses and they're performing and so on and so forth. But the 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 doubters, for the lack of better word, they they need to be seeing the right things. They need to be in the same wavelengths and so on. Mm-hmm. Now, just say you've got a horse with hoof problems, but the trimming is done well. What's another problem that could cause feet problems? And I'm thinking about if it's a common fault that people, the way they ride, the way they train, the way they handle the horse, you know, how can it be fixed? Is it just that we look at correct trimming 
or are there other problems that can contribute to or f- the way they feed or anything else that can contribute to problems with the hooves? Yeah, so it can often be multifactorial. So, for instance, if you take the example of an ill-fitting saddle, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. If you have an yes. ill-fitting saddle, the horse won't be striding out correctly. Mm-hmm. If the horse is not striding out correctly, um, it will compensate by musculature for that. Um, the footfall will be incorrectly, the wear pattern in the hoof, the wear and growth pattern in the hoof will be incorrect, and and the hoof will grow in, in a in an inappropriate way, in an incorrect way, that then can lead to a hoof problem. So the primary cause wasn't the hoof itself. Um, it was introduced. But now that he has a hoof problem, other things can't change. We know that with teeth as well. So if, if there's dental problems and the horse holds the head high constantly, it could be overloading its heels for that matter, for instance, and contribute to underrun heels, for example. Mm-hmm. So there can be cross-connections that we need to look at. And and another very important one um, is the, the boarding style. So if trimmed correctly and the horse lives on too soft ground, it will not stimulate that foot properly okay. because the, yep. the ground reaction force is not there, right? If you're not having a boarding system that's movement-centric to promote movement, it doesn't matter how good your trim is, the foot is not using the foot sufficiently and the horn production will be inadequate. Okay, so the track system. Do you do anything to do with the track system? Yeah, the track system is um, is getting quite popular. Um, we just got to understand what we're using it for and, and when and so on. So a lot of people are saying, you know, you put a track system in and that promotes more movement. Um, but then... You know, your very own Brian Hampson in, in Australia, he did a GPS collar study and he found it, it didn't happen. Um, so the, the most movement he found was on an, in a big open paddock, for instance. Okay. And um, the, the take-home message is um, out of that study to me was that um, a simple track system around the perimeter of the big paddocks, for instance, um, will only significantly decrease the amount of movement compared to the open paddock, right? So if you have the problem that, like in New Zealand, we have a lot of rich grass growth happening, yes. it might just be way too much grass that they're getting when they're in the open paddock. Um, so a track system then allows you better grass management without substantially reducing um, movement. You know, because oh, you could be yeah. putting them in a yard as well, and a yard would be addressing the feeding issue, but it's it's depriving them of the movement. Yeah, no, that makes sense for sure, for sure. Yeah. But there's a there's a flip side to that as well, and and that is if you're actually starting out with a small paddock, with a small system, yeah. then putting some sort of track in can actually increase the movement within the very small system, right? So bigger paddocks generally give you better movement by themselves, mm-hmm. um, but smaller paddocks, we can increase it a bit with a track system. Okay, okay. Do you still do endurance? No, I no longer do endurance myself anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've mm-hmm. lost my, my riding horse, unfortunately, and I've never replaced it yet. Okay, okay. I'm just thinking, you know, what you're working on now, what you're looking forward to, you're obviously continuing to, to learn more. You know, I think we, we never know everything about horses, and you're doing more work within hoof care. Are you doing anything yeah. in particular, any particular research or working on any education? What are you doing there? Yeah, so at the moment, I'm, I'm quite um, keen on just for people to realize um, certain type of hoof problems like coronary deformations and stuff like that and mm-hmm. what that means and and then sort of still trying to tickle out ways of optimizing how to pass that on to other people so they can, they can actually implement that as well and, and get 
better results was their own trimming. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is how we trim bars, how we trim hoofball. How can we make it more efficient, basically, to address those internal pressure points or deformations that I was talking about earlier on? Right. That's my key thing. How can I... Well, look, I know that yeah. you um, you travel a lot. You know, you're New Zealand, but also, I think, Prague, Czech Republic, Moscow, Russia, Germany. Yeah. Um, I know Australia, South Africa, USA. You travel around a fair bit educating people. Poland here, you know, um, all over the place. If people need to contact you, or Canada... Wow, you really get around. <laughs> Thorsten, if people need to contact you, you know, I know that your your mission now is to go out to educate people about better hoof care. If they want to contact you, how can they do that? What's the best way? Best way is to go to the webpage and um, look for the contact details. So there will be an email address on there or a phone number, whichever they want. Okay. Um, so the web address is IBEM. Ibem.co.nz, and um, that's a good way to get us uh, or get hold of me. Okay. Facebook, I sometimes do as well, and I think the page there is called Ibem, of course. Okay, and of course, if you miss that, just go to horsechats.com, search for Thorsten, or search for Kaiser, and you'll find those details at the bottom of uh, Thorsten's page. You know, if you need to contact him, that's you can sort of go to his page if you remember the ibem.co.nz or go to Horse Chats and just do a little bit of a search. And if you miss the Thorsten, miss the case, just go for Horse Care and I'm sure you'll find him. Well, Thurston, I think um, great to support your mission. I'm happy to, um, you know, just to contribute to educate people about, I think it's more welfare of horses, you know, doing what's best for the horses and for the welfare of the horse. So happy to support you on your mission, and I think that sort of supports us on ours. So I think it's been a really good chat, and I'd love to chat yeah. to you again sometime. That would be really good. Mm. Thanks thanks for having me, Glennis. I appreciate that. Not a problem at all, Thorsten. Good to talk to you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. See you later. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.